I love smoothies, but I don't love smoothie bar prices. With my Blendjet 2 Portable Blender, I can make smoothie bar quality beverages for a fraction of the price. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet, Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. And it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. With over 30 plus colours and patterns to choose from, there's a Blendjet 2 to complement just about any style. Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code AsianTan12 to get 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of Blendjet. They guarantee you love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code AdrianTan12 to get 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Asian Tan Show. What do you think is the hardest part about being a CEO? Although as a CEO, you get to shape a company in your image, hire people to work with you and receive recognition for your accomplishment, it is often an incredibly lonely journey. And many executives claim that the biggest issue they face in their roles is not having anyone to confide in. According to the Harvard Business Review, half of top executives express feelings of loneliness. 61% which believe loneliness actually hinders their job performance. I am very happy to welcome our guests to discuss more with us on this today. He's the number one international best-selling author and award-winning speaker. He's also a leadership keynote speaker and executive mental health advocate. Uh, Nick Johnson also happens to be the co-founder and MD of EGN, one of Asia's premier networking organizations, where he built a caring community that provides hundreds of executives a safe haven to share their challenges and receive support, and importantly, to learn from each other. Hey, Nick, thank you for coming onto my show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Adrian. It's great to be here, and thank you so much for covering this topic. I would like to start our conversation by revisiting probably the event that kickstarted your loneliness journey, for lack of a better description, which of course also led to a massive meltdown. And this probably brings us back to 2008 Vietnam. Could you help us to understand what happened back then and describe to us your situation at the point in time? Yeah, sure. So if I'm going back to 2008, I was working as an expat in Vietnam in a senior role. And I had, until then, had a successful career and I got promotion after promotion and thought I was doing well. But suddenly, I, at least to me, it came as a surprise. I was laid off. And with this layoff, I lost a big part of my personality, I thought, because I defined myself in the job. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say to my colleagues. I didn't know what to say to my family or friends. How can I explain that suddenly I've been laid off from this job? So that gave me a lot of anxiety. I fell into a deep hole. I didn't know what to do. And then after that, though, I found myself in a similar space a few years later on when I again was laid off. And that just filled me with a lot of insecurities. When the layoff happened, was it company-wide thing and how was the communication done? So 
Back then, I was basically a sales director for a cosmetic company in Vietnam. And I was let go because I had a major conflict between my boss and myself. He was my third boss within a few years. The first two had promoted me and the third one, we didn't really get along. And if I'm looking back at it, I was a lot to blame as well for that. But when I was in the middle of it, we always tend to defend ourselves and think that it's the other person's fault. And of course, that led to a worse breakdown. It was communicated to me just the day before I was going on my annual leave. So I, it ruined my holiday and I was full of anger and very resentful and I didn't know what to do next. What actually went through your mind for the rest of the day? It's almost like it could be taken out of a movie because when I came back home and I told my ex-wife about this, she also told me her news, which was that she was pregnant. So with that, suddenly I was about to become a father without a job. And as it was in Vietnam as well, my employment was linked to my housing, to my work permit and status. That meant that we, I was about to become a father and not knowing where is my home, where am I going to live. So all these things gave me even more anxiety and I was in complete shock and in denial as well at this stage. I really couldn't do, know what to do at all. If I remember right, I had quit smoking by this time, but I certainly went for some drinks, that's for sure. And, and I remember that this was the beginning of a long turmoil. I've read snippets of your book, and even though you managed to, of course, survive from the first layoff, things did accumulate in a way. And I do sense a fair share of PTSD, despite performing well in another role in Indonesia. But before we dive into it, could you share more about how this, whole, how this role in Indonesia come about? What were you doing? And exactly what were some of the, quote, PTSD that actually kept coming into your head. As I was laid off in Vietnam, I jumped from job to job for a while. Eventually, I found myself in a great role. I set up a similar fashion company in Vietnam as the general director for them, a French invested company. I built up a team and the company was running well. Then I got promoted to a bigger market with them, which was Indonesia. So they moved me over. At this stage, my son was five years of age and we came over to Indonesia. And then, though, that company was invested and became acquired by investors and 300 of us were let go, including me. So here was then the second time when I had a big blow to my career. This time I was not at fault. It was just part of a layoff. But again, it came as a huge surprise to us. And when I finally got over the first hurdle, here I was again. And now in a new country, not knowing what to do. I didn't have a network over there, no one to lean on, no one to talk to. And I remember being in complete shock. And when this happened, I was so scared because my son then had schooling and everything else there in Jakarta that I decided actually to ask my ex-wife to move back to Sweden where she could stay with her parents and at least get our son into a school there. Mm. I said, let me remain here in Jakarta by myself and sort this out, which perhaps might be a typical male response. We want to take responsibility. We want to do the right thing. We want to care for the family. But of course, my way of acting was in panic mode and it wasn't the right path. So that again led me to an even more downward spiral where I was completely lost and again, jumping from job to job, isolated, alone in a new country. When it comes to the isolation part, is that something that comes naturally to you because of your personality or was that something more of a choice because of being in a new country? 
I think the higher Ashiva we are, the lonelier we can get. Because if you're trying to always look great on the outside, especially everything is looking fantastic on social media. We have all these awards, we're getting promotions and we share all these great news. But when the negative news comes, it's not really something you want to put on your profile. And you might not necessarily want to walk around talking about it either. So you're basically living a double life here. And I call it in my book that many of leaders, including myself at the time at least, was hiding behind a smiling depression. You're working so hard to put on a good show, which you look fantastic. But then behind the scene, things are really collapsing around you. And the mismatch there, the lack of authenticity is what is so painful. Yes. What are some of the interesting, new, insightful facts that you actually discovered as you were putting research for this book? And how prevalent is this issue of executive loneliness? As I was researching for the book, I did a survey and also did one-on-one interviews. And I was quite surprised how common these feelings of isolation and loneliness is in senior roles. So what it told me was that I'm not alone. From my research, about 30% of the senior executives in Singapore either feel or have felt isolated in their workplace and that they have no one to talk about this. What they say when you ask them about this was that I cannot really talk to my boss. My boss is sitting in US or Europe and they maybe don't really understand the Asian market and they're in a different time zone and talking online with them. I cannot really do that. They have their own agenda. They follow up on results and I need to make sure I'm on top of things. The last thing I can do is start talking to them about my issues. Then they say, I cannot really also talk to my team because I'm there to motivate them. I'm the leader for them. So therefore, they end up keeping it all inside. And as you said also in in the intro there, Adrian, they perhaps paid, they're expected to be the leader, to be the driving force. And if we're looking in Singapore, many are running regional roles, responsible for the region, high pressure. And therefore, they they are left with these feelings of loneliness, which is what I felt in my roles. So my conclusion here is that it's much more common than we think. And also people are really uh, not willing to discuss it. It's something that they keep for themselves. What are some of the things that we actually lose out if we continue to bottle all this issue inside of us? As I mentioned earlier on in a HBR survey, they do find that it has probability of hindering job performance. Is that what you're seeing in your research as well? Yes, absolutely. And uh, as I've been researching this and really interviewing executives and so on, and these days I found another way also, and that is by leading with vulnerability as a strength. It's traditionally seen as a weakness. And now though, I've seen on the other side that it can be a strength. And what I mean with this is that you as a leader can create a culture where it's okay to not be okay. You can also create a fail-fast culture where instead of blaming people for mistakes and failures, you see them as learning opportunities. And as you do that from the top, you're creating this culture where it's okay to say that something went wrong. And if you as a leader then open up first, you do this both in regards to your personal life. When you're talking to your team, sometimes if you're going through difficult times, you're sharing about that something that happened to you or your family so that they see that you are human. Next time something similar will happen with them, they are likely to also share. And that's how you bond, how you're building the relationships Mm. on a personal level. And on the professional level is indeed when a staff member have made something wrong or when you made a mistake, it's okay. We discuss it together. We learn from this and then we move forward together. Mm. Then 
you create this warm culture where people will not isolate themselves. And you as a leader then running this will feel included and you will feel much more open. I do see glimpses of my life as I read through the paragraphs and chapters. It is really a no-brainer to take those approach. But for someone who perhaps has been confining him or herself, spending too much time in his or her head, what's your suggestion on taking the first baby step to get out of the shell, get out of his or her prison, to really move into the direction that you have just charted? It is about deflating the ego because many times leaders, business leaders especially, perhaps are high performers driven people, many are perfectionists, graduated on top of class with scholarships for university and then find themselves being promoted. So it's about really taking a look at them oneself and really trying to change how you are as a person that is not all for you. It's more also to support in being of service for others. And the best way of doing that is by being part of something outside your workplace. It can be anything from what I do these days. I'm a fundraiser and volunteer for the Samaritans Suicide Prevention Agency in Singapore, where you will be among other fundraisers of volunteers to do something, to get out of yourself, to mm. see that there's actually people out there who are struggling. Then you will be grateful for what you have. And you're also stopping all that negative voice in internally. The self-pityness will stop as you're mm. getting out of yourself. It doesn't have to be a charity. It can also be getting a coach, a mentor, someone who help you yep. to, to help you to become more vulnerable. And a third part is, of course, what I do for a day-to-day -day basis now, Adrian, where we're running confidential peer groups for senior executives where they can actually discuss the work-related challenges they have so what they do then is they practice the vulnerability muscle that by learning to speak up about your work-related challenges, mm. getting support to solve them, then that creates a good habit because it's a good feeling afterwards when you have been vulnerable, someone has helped you, you solved it and you can move forward. And step by step then we are learning to become more open and that is an amazing feeling. Mm. So the first step is really trying to deflate the ego, which usually is tied into many things that we perhaps have placed an overvalue on. I remember when I was hugely in debt, I kept thinking to myself, it's the end of the world until I went to Credit Counseling Singapore. And I realized there are people who owe the bank $1.25 million, $2 million, and so on. It did not change the fact that I still owe the bank $900,000, but it did immediately instantaneously give me a very different perspective on the shitty problems that I have for myself. I also want to draw attention to, again, some other parts that you mentioned in the book, in which you actually have an injury or somewhat happened to your leg where you swell up to, I, I was looking at a picture, I think almost the size of a honeydew or a small watermelon. And that actually came about through accumulation of things. Could you help us to understand more on that and how it all accumulated to that incident? Yeah, so if we take us back to Jakarta, Indonesia, where I was laid off from my second job and I was jumping from job to job, I started to also lose my good habits. I used to be quite disciplined with my diet. I used to have a good exercise routine. Those habits were suddenly not there. I changed the healthy diet for fast food. And I exchanged my exercise with alcohol. I tend to go to the bar to drink. I thought I have to go out and network. I need to be social. Otherwise, I won't find a new job. But with that came bad habits. I started to consume too much alcohol, gaining weight, 
And between 2015 to 18, I jumped from job to job and I really, it was a downward spiral until 2018, where I found myself in Singapore. I was moved with one of my companies there and I hit rock bottom. I hit what I call myself, my rock bottom. I had uh, had lost my fitness. I could hardly go for a walk and I had become addicted to alcohol and I was full of anxiety and also in depth. And I really thought that life was over. At that point, I wrote my will, my testament, and I really thought that life was over. Did it also lead to any signs of suicidal thoughts for you? I was not yet at the phase where I was suicidal, but all my preparations were exactly as if someone was suicidal. When you start to write your testament, your will, when you also send your bank documents, which I did to my parents, to my son, to my ex-wife, I prepared all of these things. The reason I did that was because I couldn't break the pattern of alcohol at the time. I'd become an alcoholic. And when you have to take that morning drink and that is running your life, and as I was looking at my swollen foot and my health deteriorating, I didn't think I would have many months to go. I was going to many hospitals, getting my heart checked in Singapore and so on, and Mm -hmm. it was not much good news with me. So therefore, indeed, I thought life was over. So... really all compounds, doesn't it? Just from a loneliness aspect, you will lead to other stuff, behavioral change, habit change, which lead to, of course, you going through those many different visits to the hospital. What was the pivotal moment? What was the exact day and time that actually triggered that wake-up call for you? And what do you do on that day? Yeah, so at this time, I was completely isolated in all these feelings no one really knew on the outside it looks good still i'm still having a good career on facebook and linkedin happy pictures yes you could see i gained some weight Uh, if someone had a look at my foot of course they could see it but i was at that time hiding and i didn't want to show anyone that so again on the outside everything looks good but what i decided to do at this stage was to tell one person and this was a woman who is today my wife and my new wife. And as I told her, I immediately started to feel better. It felt like something was lifted from me by just speaking up. It was like I revealed my secret. And immediately after I told her, she brought me to a doctor and she told the doctor the truth what was happening. And very quickly, of course, I got the right support, the right help. And then within 24 hours, I was also in a recovery program with other people who had issues with alcohol so I got support with that so as soon as I just decided to start speaking up about this being honest about it revealing my secrets the recovery was really v-shaped I was feeling great it must have made you regret not speaking up even earlier right because it seems to just kick off and skyrocket from there and the moment of speaking up was that very hard for you to get through that Hurdle because I often find myself having trouble sharing certain things. And I would realize maybe it's more of a personality thing. I would play out the scenario in my head for a few hours and the scenario would not even happen eventually. And over time, it's just, okay, screw it. I'm not going to do it. And then I leave one for another day with regrets, of course. How do you advise someone who may be going through such things? Is there some tips or advice that one can really think about and to apply? in order to really stop the narrative in the head and bring it out in the open. Yeah, we need to break that pattern. And I was laughing when you say sharing that idea. And of course, I had those feelings. And for a long time, 
I was, I knew I had to talk about it, but I didn't want to do it. So I think it's very common for people to putting that aside. So my advice would be these days is think of who you can talk to. There's so many anonymous support groups. There's hotlines you can call for almost every single problem with volunteers. It doesn't have to cost money to take the first step. And there's people who is willing to listen and speak. Otherwise, there's coaches, there's mentors, there's psychologists, there's so many. You can also make a booking and have a have a one-on-one session confidentially mm-hmm. or anonymously on Zoom these days. You don't have to go and be seen in a hospital and being worried that, that your anonymity should be breached. So if you have any questions there, rather than letting that having that tape recorder playing in your own head with all the negative thoughts, break that pattern, talk to someone. Because I learned that a problem shared is a problem halved. And that is, makes a huge difference. If you are feeling really bad, if you can half that feeling, then you're going to be back on the right path again. I also want to touch on some of the stuff that you observe, the good stuff that actually happened to you once you decided to break the mold, once you decided to step out of the shell and started sharing and everything just skyrocketed. What are some of the good things the expected one and especially the unexpected one that came in your way once you decide to go in a completely different direction? I think the sympathy is something amazing because once you start sharing and you realize that you're not alone, as humans, we are social animals and we realize very quickly, oh yeah, someone else have gone through this before. It's not only me or someone else have had a bank debt before. It's not only me and they sorted it out. So when I was in the recovery group, you're sitting there in an anonymous circle and you listen to 15, 20 other business leaders who've gone through it one month ago, three months ago, five years ago. Some people have even gone through it 10 or 20 years ago and they were there now as a volunteer to support others, right? So instantly you have this feeling, oh, I'm not alone. There's no shame with this. That shame, the guilt feeling was lifted. And so that is really my advice. Find your group where you can share it and learn to feel better about it. And then you can use all your weaknesses, you can turn into strength and your experience can be valuable to help another human being. And this is Mm. when we feel great. When I was still undertaking some volunteer work, I do feel better even just after a short session. Uh, The act of giving, the process of giving really brings about certain emotional change, some chemistry (laughs) happening in my body, which I can't really better explain. On that notion, I think it really helped us to understand again the magnitude of this this issue that many top executives face. Another thing I just want to understand and take from your opinion is what you've gone through was during a period in 2008 and maybe a few years after that, which was a different era altogether. Right now, we have the prevalence of social media, you have your cancel culture, etc. How do you think executive loneliness has evolved since the first time you experienced it. Given that we are much more connected right now, do you see this happening less? Or is it actually somehow paradoxically much more common because of all these different inputs coming to us from all directions? Yes, you're so right here because the world is definitely different post-COVID now. We are more working remotely. We use more digital tools and therefore we are more empowered as human beings and more responsible for being disciplined with our own lives. And this doesn't only mean that we need to eat well and exercise and all these things, but we also need to 
really be ma- making sure that we do get social in- interactions. Myself, I'm an introvert and I'm aware about that. I'm very comfortable working remotely by myself and online the whole time. I have no issues being on the show with you talking one-on-one like this, Adrian, but you put me in a networking event despite I'm running a networking company, being around 50 people, I will still, even today, I will feel I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone walking into a room full of strangers. But I need to do that because the feeling afterwards when I have connected with them is fantastic. So it's just like a workout in that play, in that sense. So my point here being, we need to make sure that we get social time. If we're especially working remotely, using on, on a virtual meetings the whole day, we need to belong to some cycling club, join a swim academy, or go join a local church or whatever it may mm. be, where we can actually meet other people, interact with them, because we still need to fill that gap. If we're not interacting with our colleagues the whole days, we need to make sure that we do it. And at the very least, get away from work. So for yourself, what kind of external interest groups, etc., are you part of over and above the networking groups that you're currently conducting? Yes. So exercise is a big part of my life. It was before I had my personal crash. And once I come back together, I enjoy it even more so eating well and exercising. So what I always do, I do triathlon. So I join swimming clubs, running clubs and cycling clubs. That gives me three different kind of associations. And also you have the triathlon association. So I try wherever I go in the world, join these. Plus, I have my recovery group where I'm trying to give back to other people who now fall into alcohol addiction. So wherever I travel in the world, I look up, even before I travel, I look up where is the local chapter of this organization. I try to even book my hotel, perhaps next to it or close to it and see the times. And then I come there uh, to share my experience because there might be someone there who can learn from them. So in that sense, I make sure I, I get my exercise, I get my dose of social interactions wherever I go in the world. And in that sense, I can recommend it to everyone to look up some uh, sport associations, but also some other organizations where you can make a difference. Thank you so much for the advice. I have learned so much from this conversation today. Anything else that you'd like to touch on? I think just a very final remark that I'd like to leave to all listeners, no matter how painful it is, the thoughts you're going through, how isolated you are, there will be someone you can talk to about it and don't be scared to reach out and just go into a search engine punching your problem no matter what it will be if it's alcohol drugs or gambling or if it's something work related there will be anonymous support groups for this as well which is what i'm running myself but there will be someone there who has gone through it before so don't try to solve all the problems yourself crowdsource your solutions together with the support of everyone else because you are not alone out there Someone else who have been there, done that, got a t-shirt and will be more than happy to support you. And for people who may be keen to learn more about yourself, your networking session, and also importantly, you might want to check out your book. Where can they go to? So I'm quite active on LinkedIn, like yourself. They can look up Nick Johnson on LinkedIn. That's N-I-C-K-J-O-N-S-O-N. If they want to find my book, it's called Executive Loneliness and they can find it on Amazon. It's also available on Audible as an audiobook. And with that, thank you so much for coming onto the show, Nick. Uh, I'll add all those things that Nick has mentioned into the show notes. And thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.